It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. And we're coming to you live from the Billy C Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C Show. Good morning, good day, good evening, whenever you are listening. We hope you're doing all right today. Uh, today's show, she's being brought to you in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on beautiful St. Simon's Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhood.com. Pizzeria.com or give my man a call 912-268-2328 912-268-2328 find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's to get a slice of pizza can you believe that crap I gotta go all the way there to get a decent Italian meal man come on and you should go down there too and see what I'm talking about Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria.com and speaking of Sal's join us for our next Billy C get together which has taken place not one day, but two days, uh, August 25th and 26th uh, at uh, the Sea Palms Resort and uh, beautiful uh, golf course uh, down at St. Simon's. What am I talking about? Well, we're going to have a great get-together of former world champions, Marlon Starling, Bobby Chez, Mike Weaver, all are going to be joining us. Renowned trainer Sherman Henson out of Tampa will be uh, working South Senecola out. I can't wait to see that old guy uh, throwing some punches again. Uh, we got uh, uh, a great time scheduled for all. All We are going to show the fraud of a fight called uh, McGregor Mayweather. But better than that, we are going to give a sneak preview of uh, at least one of our episodes of Billy C. Boxing Revisited. And uh, I think you guys are going to love that. We were talking a little bit about it yesterday. So uh, give the C-Poms a call right now and uh, ask for the Billy C. Special. Uh, they got uh, all kinds of uh, uh, deals waiting for you. So uh, check it out. Visit our website, billycboxing.com, and click on the C-Poms uh, banner uh, for the phone number. Or just uh, Google C-Poms in St. Simons Island. And make your reservations today. We want you to be there with us. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by my book. Tom Molino from Bondage to Bettis Man on a Plane is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy right now. Right now. I'm telling you right now. If you, while you're watching or listening, you can. You can. You can. All you got to do is go to uh, barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Wait a minute. You want a signed copy? Don't worry about it. I'll hook you up. Just see me at an event. Come on down to our event in St. Simons, and I'll have books with me. I'll sign it right there. Or if you're not going to come down, just visit the website, billycboxing.com, and click on the book. You can't miss it. Um, 
Today, we got uh, some emails that we're going to uh, get to that we uh, hadn't got to uh, last couple of days. But today's topic, you know, all day yesterday, I was harassed. I mean, everybody that I saw started coming up to me, talking to me about what Mayweather apparently has been saying in the news. He had a, a, a one-on-one interview with uh, Stephen A. Smith, and he's going... Uh, oh, I'm gonna, uh, I'm really gonna go after Conor McGregor. I'm, there's no fooling. He's been saying some stuff. I, I'm, I'm really gonna, I, I'm gonna really beat his ass. All this stuff, and you know, he, he started. He, 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 remember yesterday, when, or it might have been the day before, when I was reading uh, an email from my man Mitch, uh, who uh, exposed a a, a, a a letter that was written or a, an article that was written on a website. Um, with an interview with Bob Bennett. Now, Bob Bennett is that spineless piece of garbage that's the executive director of the Nevada State Athletic Commission, and he was trying to justify all the questions that I asked uh, about how he could in any way, shape, or form uh, sanction uh, the fight between Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather as a real fight. I have no problems with the fight as an exhibition, but as a real fight, uh, based on the fact that uh, Floyd Mayweather is 49-0 and 0, and Conor McGregor is uh, uh, a pro debut, never fought uh, anything in boxing. Uh, and, uh, you know, he gave all these reasons. Well, Floyd Mayweather, uh, what, what did he what did he have uh, Bob Bennett over for dinner or something? Because he said the same stuff. He says, you know, uh, on paper, he's telling uh, Stephen A. Smith, on paper, uh, the truth of the matter is, is Conor McGregor's the favorite in this fight. Uh, he's younger, he's bigger, he's stronger, he's this, he's that. I-, I couldn't help but remember a famous line by Bob Arum when he said, and I quote, I was lying yesterday, but I swear I'm telling the truth today. Well, that's Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather has lied and scammed his fans who have put him where he is financially today by conning them, swearing that he's going to fight a real fight and, exchi- and and basically get in there and, uh, uh, you know, fight uh, his opponents. And instead, we get these boring snooze fest fights and he's doing it again. Basically saying, oh, don't, don't uh, forget about my fight with Manny Pacquiao. Uh, I- I'm going to make this one entertaining. I think it's all BS. Joining me right now. Uh, from St. Simon's Island is my man, Sal Rocky Senecola. And Sal, <laughs> he was lying for the last 15, 20 years, but now we're expected to believe him. What's your thoughts? I, I think it's going to be the new Floyd Mayweather coming out. I think he's going to be taking the fight to McGregor. It's a new venue for him. It's a... It's exciting. He wants something to prove. Uh, you know, he's standing up for the entire world of boxing versus MMA. I mean, this is showcase. This is this is the battle line drawn in the sand, and he can't let down the centuries and the the overall whole evolution of boxing and 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 the whole manifestation of the world credibility of the title holders and the champions before Floyd Mayweather. He's carrying this all on his back right now to stand up for boxers everywhere. Whoever put that glove on their hand and got cut and laid me down to cry out. In his anger and his pain, I am leaving. I am leaving. Oh, that's another song. Sorry. Oh, I was just going off on a tangent. I don't know what he's doing. He's trying to sell the fight. 
He's got to do what he's going to do. Floyd Mayweather is going to go out there. He's going to shoulder roll. He's going to avoid these punches. And I'll tell you what. He is going to pick and peck anything he wants, any part of uh, McGregor. He's going to do that. And he's going to establish that. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to see him go in there and, and, and uh, do a good job. Now, McGregor does have that chance. I've been saying all along. He could run across the ring, wade through uh, any kind of uh, offense that Floyd should uh, offer. But, uh, no, don't expect to go see Floyd coming out aggressive. I'm going to take the fight to you. Forget about it. He's going to wait for McGregor to run across the ring and be rough and tough. And he's going to be stepping out of the way. And he's going to be, like I said, he's going to be the matador in with a bull. And that's exactly what it's going to be. And he's going to have the saber and the sword ready to, to just uh, just decapitate uh, McGregor's head. And he's going to earn himself a knockout, one he hasn't had in a while. He is going to. Listen, I know I agree. He, here's, <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing. This guy's going to be fatigued. He's gonna, you're going to be like, <gasps> you know, by the sixth round, forget about it. Well, here's the thing. And, and you know, I, it, look, we've been beating this. Uh, it's a dead horse. But it's, 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 a pulver, it's a pulverized That's, it's dead horse rhetoric. right now. It's a fluff. There's no yeah. stuff. But, but, but the thing that bothers me. And, you know, here, here it is, because I'm going to get criticized. I know my inbox is going to be filled uh, tomorrow morning because all the Floyd Mayweather diehard fans are going to be, like, criti criticizing me for saying this. But here's the truth. You guys, and I say you guys, the diehard Floyd Mayweather fans are the ones he's taking advantage of. That's I'm trying to stick up for you guys, even though I'm not a Floyd fan. You know, it bothers me that he's bamboozled you guys for so long, and he's doing it again. And, and the reason why he's coming out saying this, listen, it, Floyd Mayweather, is in a, it, he's, he's a smart fighter, all right? He's not an exciting fighter. Larry Hazard said it best yesterday. He said, listen, people don't like his style, and I'm one of them. You know, I don't like that safety first, you know, run and hide type style. I don't like it. But at the end of the day, it earns him W's. That's all he cares about, all right? And to suggest that he's going to put basically his legacy on the line. Because, Sal, let's let's be real. Even if Conor McGregor performs satisfactory, he doesn't even have to have a good performance. If he makes it for 12 rounds, that's going to hurt Floyd. It's going to hurt Floyd. Floyd is in his... He's kind of he's backed himself in a corner based on his own greed where he does have to knock out Connor, and I believe that he will, not because he's going to be aggressive, not because he's got punching power, because he can't. He's, he's got little girly hands. I mean, come on. you know. But the reason why is exactly what I've said all along, and you just uh, said yourself. Connor McGregor is going to be chasing after him, trying to, to hit that home run. His punch is coming from nowhere. Floyd's seeing him before he even throws him. And he's going to tire himself out. It's going to be, I said this weeks ago, Sal, it's going to look like uh, the way Muhammad Ali tired out George Foreman. And when he finally landed a punch, it wasn't a concrete punch. It was fatigue. Same thing. It reminds me of the old punch-out game, Mike Tyson's punch-out, when you knocked out Soda Popinski and he went spinning around and hit the ground. That's what's going to happen with Conor McGregor. Come on, man. I, well, that's exactly it. The guy's going to be winded and fatigued by the sixth or eighth round, maybe even earlier. And, uh, you know, he's going he's gonna to be want, wanting to be put to sleep. <laughs> I'll tell you. But I, I've said it all along. This is a farce. It's not a fight. No, and that's it. it. it it's entertainment. It's going to be entertaining. 
And on that aspect, how do you think it's going to be entertaining? It should have been. It should have been an exhibition. How do you think it's going to be entertaining? Well, uh, simply from the standpoint or the fact that this is when two worlds collide. You have the MMA world and you have the boxing world. Yeah. A, a bullfight. And uh, Floyd Mayweather is going to be the matador. And you're going to see McGregor in as the bull. And he doesn't have the horn sharp enough to try and uh, stick it to, to Floyd Mayweather. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's going to just be a few rounds of him running, chasing, and moving, and and trying to uh, throw those haymakers. It's a, it's gonna almost be uh, black sh- and white. Sal, you, I keep losing. Classic. You. Keep losing you, with, man. With, keep losing you. You, you lose me. Yeah, you, you losing me. Go- goose. You keep that uh, better. You keep going in and out. No, it has nothing to do with you getting closer to the mic. So get your mouth off that thing. What, what are you? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to do? Okay. You know, no, it's it. Uh, but anyway, I, yeah, it's going to be a. Let me make this now. Do you know what it's going to look like? Do you remember seeing the old black and white movie? And I loved it, uh, with Errol Flynn playing Gentleman Jim Corbett. And remember when he fought. John L. Sullivan in the end, and John L. Sullivan's running after the ring and throwing these haymakers, and Corbett's just stepping aside, and boom, hit him there. And then he runs the other side of the ring, throws the right hand, he steps aside, hits him there. And uh, you don't remember that movie? No, I thought you were talking about you remember the actual fight, because weren't you ringside for that? Well, I was, but, you know, I, I didn't want to tell anybody because I, I actually had a press pass, and I snuck in. <laughs> there you go. Hey, listen, we're going to try to uh, – okay – so everybody knows the last couple of days, you know, we've been having uh, some technical uh, difficulties in it. And, and I found out, I don't want to make excuses, but, but here comes the excuse. Uh, it wasn't but. my fault. Uh, you know, my, my, my team didn't prepare me correctly. Uh, you know, I, no. The truth of the matter is, is that uh, uh, we had some uh, updates that uh, took place thanks to uh, Microsoft, who, who likes to test their updates out on guys like us. And uh, we've been working feverishly. And whew, I got a fever. I got to take some uh, excedrins. But uh, the truth of the matter is, it, not that we're plugging any specific. There I am. What am I? I what, what, say, now, I'm plug, now I'm giving free advertising. But we're going to try to take a commercial break right now. And um, just be ready to uh, have to switch gears and uh, go to our uh, uh, Facebook uh, stream because we uh, do. Uh, uh, stream on Facebook. Now, the Facebook stream is not the same camera feed as you can watch on YouTube or on television. Uh, unfortunately, when we have this problem, it knocks out our multi cameras. So uh, uh, bear with us. We're going to take a short break and keep <laughs> your fingers crossed. We'll be back, hopefully, in two. Two, we'll right back. Hey, fight fans, check out KOFantasyBoxing.com. KO Fantasy Boxing is boxing's only trademarked fantasy game. Check it out, www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. Select your own gym, your own fighters, track them through a season that can last from three months to a year, depending upon which league you join. You got to check this out, man, www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. Join it today. Again, www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. And tell them Billy C. sent you. Broadcasting in all corners of the globe. On the web and radio. He would scoff at a stretch of that man, I would think. Ah! 
You're listening to Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. From upstate New York in the good old U.S. of A. Boxing is here to stay because we are here to stay. The best two hours of boxing talk on the airwaves. The one, the only, Don King. Makes me feel good, Billy, to have you, the number one show in the country, talking boxing with Billy. So I invite each and every American that's listening to this great show to tune in. We want you to be there with Billy and me. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now, or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. Well, I'm back. Uh, hopefully, uh, you guys are, uh, still getting the video because, uh, it shit the bed again. Sorry. Uh, we do have Sal on the line. Don't we have you, Sal? You get me? I, do you hear me? Well, we hear you, but we ain't going to see me? you. We're not Can you see, see me, you. Phil? Can you see me? Yeah, I see you. But, uh, anyway, uh, here's the good news. The bad news is we lost our multi-cameras. The good news is. We're going to continue on with the show without another commercial break. All right. I apologize. And uh, I'm, uh, I can't uh, tell you how pissed off I am, but I'm going to pretend like it's not really bothering me and I'm going to move forward. So uh, just to uh, continue on with our discussion uh, on this, uh, on the joke of uh, what we're calling uh, Mayweather McGregor is the fact that Floyd Mayweather has been uh, in the press lately uh, specifically the last two days, uh, saying how much he's going to, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And uh, we all know he's going to do none of that. And um, here's the best part. Vasily Lomachenko, who, um, you know, uh, who was, uh, a lot of people put him in the pound for pound, top pound for pound, if not the pound for pound fighter. I feel his stock kind of went down with his last fight. Um, we were talking about this yesterday with Larry Hazard. Uh, you know, yeah, he was showboating, but um, it, it was kind of uh, it was kind of weird, uh, a weird showboat because uh, uh, he was showboating, but yet um, uh, he was getting hit. You know, but uh, uh, hey, it's Lo- aggressive. <laughs> uh, yeah, but L- Lomachenko, Lomachenko uh, tweeted Conor McGregor yesterday. And uh, said, uh, hey, need another sparring partner to test your skills against? Call me. <laughs> Call me. You know, uh, uh, you know, I love it because, uh, you know, I, and this adds to the BS of all of this. Uh, you got uh, Paulie Malinaji, who was sparring with Conor McGregor and uh, left camp because he was so outraged that, uh, you know, he claims he was uh, spanking Conor and Conor uh, showed a, a, or at least uh, the the team uh, published publicized a photo of uh, Paulie on his arse, uh, and uh, you know I, I said this all along, Sal, that that was all BS because you know what? All kidding aside, Showtime has invested a lot of money into this fight. Uh, you know, guaranteeing Floyd his uh, gazillion dollars and uh, Conor McGregor his a hundred million, and uh, uh, you know the the numbers uh, are looking like they're going to be lower. Uh, they can't even sell out. The interest level, at least for boxing fans, is is not there. 
Uh, and, um, you know, when Paulie was saying that he was sparring Conor McGregor, I simply looked at it as, oh, well, this is a, a, a you know, a media thing. You know, they're trying to promote it. Yeah, they're I thought trying... it was, uh, that was exactly what I thought. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to promote it, you know. I mean, uh, he was his hired sparring partner? Well, Paulie Malignaggi was for a little while. And, yeah. and uh, the truth of the matter was, was that, you know, Paulie's a commentator for, for Showtime. He's going to be there, you know, so... Um, no, I didn't he's believe. Got the, he's I, got I, the inside scoop. Well, I, I didn't believe that he he, he even uh, uh, was going to. I wasn't believing any of it, you know. I mean. Right. Neither um, was I. Yeah. You know, so. But in any event, uh, I think it's pretty funny. And uh, as of uh, this morning, uh, Team McGregor has not responded. But uh, some other news I want to get to real quick. Uh, former world champ Juanma, Juan Manuel Lopez, uh, who's sitting on a record of 35 wins and five losses with 32 knockouts, will be uh, back in the ring September 30th against uh, Jason Velez, who's 25-4-1. Uh, um, you know, if you recall, uh, Juanma, who's now 34, which is kind of uh, ama is, is amazing to me because he's, he still looks like a kid. Uh, he had been out of the ring for a while, and his last fight, um, which was uh, almost a year ago, at least as of October, so he would be fighting just slightly less than a year. Uh, Wilfredo Vasquez Jr., uh, when he uh, knocked out uh, Vasquez Jr. Um, last October. And many people, including myself, felt that Juanma should not even come back. I mean, he had suffered some devastating knockout losses. Uh, seems to uh, uh, have uh, scrambled his uh, faculties a little bit, did some crazy stuff. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, Sal, he's coming back September 30th. And, um, you know, you wonder, I, you know, you know how it is to, to not be able to want to hang him up. But at least in your case, I mean, over all those years, um, you know, it wasn't like you were taking a beating and, and you know, you passed all those those tests and stuff. Juan Ma Lopez uh, suffered some serious knockouts. And I'm not suggesting that he didn't pass tests because obviously he had to undergo uh, extensive tests to make sure he's okay. But, you know, what we've learned from, from these types of head injuries, and, and let's face it, getting knocked out cold is clearly uh, being some kind of concussion, I would think. Uh, I would yes. know. Um, you know, I, I mean, after that many, and as devastating as they were, uh, as a matter of fact, all five of his losses were, were knockouts, if I recall correctly. Um, you know, I... I, I, why? I just want to know why he would do something like that, uh, aside from money. I mean, what's he got to prove? Billy, uh, it, it's it's something that sometimes you cannot explain. And I'll tell you, there are all these fighters that's ever, ever stepped in a ring. They take a little bit of boxing, and they, they emotionalize it, they internalize it, and it becomes them – for whatever reason, for whatever period of time, they are in the game of boxing. But for some, it's it's almost like a drug. And I'm telling you, and I'm one of those. I'm one of those guys. Because I I would be back in the ring today if I didn't have other financial uh, opportunities and things here that I'm doing. And if I didn't think it would be conducive to my well-being and that I'd live a very long life and happy life. And I know that 
detrimental uh, picture of what can happen and that can uh, the, the the safety, the health issues. But still, I would be tempted to step in that ring today and fight anybody anywhere. I just love the fight game. I love boxing. I love putting it to the test. I love testing myself. It's a drug. It's an addiction. And and like I've said before, all a lot of these fighters. Now, we used to spar tons of rounds. I mean, we would spar 25, 35, 40 rounds a week sometimes just to get in shape, boxing shape, and fighting shape. And picture this. You're in camp. You're training six weeks before a fight. You're running. You're dieting. You're fighting. You're sparring. And... And all of a sudden, you have your last fight, and it's done. It's over. You've been revved up like a Ferrari all these years, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's gone. You No more racing, nothing. It's hard for a fighter who, who is on that level or in that emotional state with the game of boxing because it, it, it has that effect. It has the endorphins in your mind, in your brain, in your chemical body giving you that high, that this. And all of a sudden, it's gone. It's done. You no longer have to take the car out on a racetrack. You no longer have to do things, you know. And and it's a hard thing to break away from for a lot of fighters. I'm I'm just one of those fighters. Um, and you know, to I was thinking about it to never feel, you know, it's 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 a chance. You you almost feel so, so such such a, a feeling of being alive and and putting the pressure on and knowing that you don't know what's going to happen by the end of the fight, but you know. You're going to be filled with that that whole uh, anticipation of what the fight game is all about and, and going through that. It's a bittersweet love-hate relationship. And I'll tell you, it's like the like Pauline Malinaji said it best. It's like that old girlfriend that you know is not good for you. And, I mean, he hit it right on the head. You know it's not good for you. And you know there's other things out there for you to do. But for some reason, you just cannot give her up. And you just want to keep going back, and that's that's probably the best analogy I've ever heard it said. Uh, so, that's that's maybe why he wants to come back. Either that or he's stupid. Okay, that's it. Well, I, you know, I mean, sometimes you would hope that the people around these guys would be the ones that would protect them. And that's what well, I think you about. you protected me. You well, and John don't want to see me go back. I wanted to go back, and then everything else. You guys kept me. You know, you guys keep me down, and and uh, I have families here. They don't want to see me fight. I have other people that want to see me fight. I still want to fight, but you know. I, so yes, you're right. You have the support structure, and you also have the medical bureau, the medical department, and and the boxing commissioners. If he's legitimately passing these tests, I mean, he's got to be getting CAT scans. You got to get beginning MRIs, and if they see there's atrophy of the brain if they see there's leakage there's brain damage somebody should step up and say hey we cannot issue a boxing license for this guy because we're not going to contribute to his deterioration and and that's that's how the boxing commissioners and the medical profession work hand in hand and if that's not the case and if he's healthy enough and he's passing all these these uh these exams and somebody's signing off and being accountable then i hey you know what let him go do what he's got to do well here's the problem and this was this is what I had presented to the ABC, which it's, they don't do anything. The ABC, the ABC is is uh, you know it's a joke, and Larry Hazard has has pretty much said so on this show many times. But the truth of the matter is, is I presented an idea to not only 
Larry Hazard and, and the ABC, but even even uh, Suleiman, Mauricio Suleiman, when he came on from the WBC, it, it's a simple remedy, or at least it, it, it could be simple. If the requirements for a fighter, when he's ready to turn pro or she's ready to turn pro, um, one of the requirements, aside from having an amateur background, etc., cetera, uh, is to get a head scan. And then, you know, for the purposes now, New York State and New Jersey, and I believe the, the, the fraud of an uh, athletic commission now uh, out in uh, Vegas uh, in the state of Nevada, all require a head scan uh, every so many years or whatever. And that would include your pro debut. Yes. But if every single commission in the United States required a, a uh, fighter who's turning pro to undergo a head scan and then maintain that scan for the doctors to compare future scans to to see if there's any change. Because what takes place now, Sal, is, and you're 100% correct, they, uh, you know, obviously make Wanma and other fighters that had sustained some serious knockout losses undergo head scans and they compare it or base that scan on what a normal scan should look like you know whether it's uh uh within the tolerance they use the term is within tolerance and uh and the problem is is your head your normal head scan and my normal head scan could look different you know what you need to do is be able to compare it to a, a head scan that you have to assume is normal for you which would be before you you turn pro you know, and this is the problem. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these doctors are taking previous scans of Juanma Lopez and comparing them and coming to the uh, realization or, or or the decision that he's okay. But no, that's, and, they're not that smart to do that. No, well, they don't. They don't do it because it's it's that a little is. more difficult. It's irrelevant to and, that. To yeah, they, they just they just they just and it's or, too difficult. Well, they order. Well, they order a they order a scan and they look at one. That's it. And it, oh, it's within it's within what it's supposed to be. He's okay, and you know Juanma Lopez. If you guys remember, now I, listen, I like Juanma. All right, so this isn't me talking about a fighter I don't like, and and I don't want him to have a chance to make his livelihood, et cetera, et cetera. It has nothing to do with that. My my point is is here's a guy that was on top of the the the, the world, so to speak, in boxing, and and uh, you know sustained a serious knockout loss, then. He did some crazy stuff. Remember when uh, you know he 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 was started accusing the referees of betting uh, the uh, father son team of the referees betting against him, and he he ended up getting suspended. Had to apologize. I mean, he did some crazy stuff, and and that's you know kind of some signs that something's not right. Now he did take a, a time off and stuff, but as as studies have shown over the last several years, specifically in other sports like football, these injuries that athletes sustain years before come back and haunt them in, later on in life and uh, unless Juanma is in a financial state where he has no other choice why wouldn't he and this is something like I'm always saying Sal why wouldn't he get stay in the sport of boxing as a trainer or something else I mean you know we all admit that once you get that bug it's it's in you for your life but it's time to move on to other things you know we need boxing people in the sport of boxing why do these guys keep hanging on? It's, you know, Billy, I got to tell you, the same reason 
maybe. I'm not, I can't speak for everybody. All I could do is speak for me, Sal Rocky Senecola. How many times do I have people today, and I and believe me, come up to me, Sal, you, can, you, can you train me? Can you show me how to fight? Can you do this? And I would love to, but, you know, and I really feel, I really feel in my heart of hearts, I could actually be in a championship corner, and I could actually train a fighter, and he'll be stellar. But the thing is this. I still feel too close to the game, unless I'm 93 years old in a wheelchair. I can't, and I don't mean that every 93-year-old's in a wheelchair. I'm just saying, I still feel too close where I can still get in that ring and do something better than what I could show somebody. It's just, it's just the, the whole thing. It's being selfish, whatever you call it, I don't know. But, you know, what you said is ingenious, and I think it's a definite, definite win-win situation for everybody. Prior to somebody turning pro, yeah. They should get a, a CAT scan, MRI on record of what their brain looks like. And then every year when they go back to renew their boxing license, they should have uh, somebody compare the chart with uh, the original and see how much it ha may have atrophied or deteriorated. You know, I'll never forget. I'll never forget one day when I was filling out my New York boxers boxing license in the late 80s uh, in the application. And they showed an example of uh, – of of a uh, test you have to look at you have to look at a, a symbol i can't know if you can see it you have to look at a diagram drawn on a page and i in my last boxing license a couple of years ago same thing was there you have to look at this you get about 10 seconds to stare at it and then you flip the page over or 30 seconds and you got to duplicate what your mind saw well they used as an example on that test of jerry quarry's uh boxing license application and they showed that same little picture, and on the other side, it showed him what he interpreted and what he remembered from that image and what he had to duplicate. And it was nothing, nothing to compare. I mean, if that's not one of the signs or tests of, of, of what your cognitive ability is or how it's atrophied, uh, you know, and, and poor Jerry Quarry, as well as even his younger mother, uh, brother, Mike Quarry. I think they both died in diapers before they were 50. Uh, from the, the, the pugilistic dementia. I, I, I could be wrong, so correct me if I am wrong, but I think they both had that kind of early uh, demise uh, from that. And, uh, you know, like I said, other people are predisposed to it. Uh, other people, you look at the great Jake LaMotta. He's still walking around in his 90s, and he's doing fine, and he, who took more punches than him? But then you look at somebody else. Uh, you know, I think everybody has their own uh, uh, physical and a mental makeup. And uh, uh, but I think what you said about the testing and about the imagery of a brain, I think is right on, Bill. And I would be all for that. And I think they should do that on an annual basis when you renew your boxing license. Well, I hope it all works out for Juanma. He was uh, one of Me the too. one of the good bad. guys in the sport, you know, and. Uh, I just hope, uh, and and not to mention now he's thirty-four. Bouncing your brain off the skull, and and that's causing damage. And you get knocked out five times in a row, or you not get knocked out all these times, you're gonna you're gonna receive brain damage. What do you think? Some quarterbacks retire early. Roger Staubach had some uh, problems with with uh, uh, being uh, hit and having concussions. He got out of game probably in his prime. Some other uh, quarterbacks, the same thing. The fighters have to be aware of this and the ones that are are getting multiple concussions from being uh, laid unconscious or just getting hit too hard or bouncing their head off the canvas they should really look at where they are in their life 
and you know bouncing ahead off the canvas a lot of people that never fought or never even got in a ring probably have the uh, you know delusion that uh, a canvas is kind of soft it's not it's it's just it's like a piece of canvas over wood is what it is i mean there's no there's no padding i mean there's very little padding but uh Anyway, I hope it works out that, for him. That, that, that too, Bill. But one other thing, you know, you, you talk about boxing. You talk about headgears. You talk about the size of the glove. You know, that's all in good. I mean, what are you going to fight with, pillows? But uh, the bottom line is those the headgear doesn't do anything to, to, to uh, minimize a blow. It protects you from cuts, maybe. But the bottom line is, you know, whenever you jar the head, which is the momentum and the force of a punch, that is this, almost the same, and it's just bouncing your brain off your skull. And, uh, you know, that's what I'll, I'll always say. I thank God that doctor in Memphis, Tennessee, when I had that fight, and uh, it was a great fight. I won that 10-round unanimous decision against Robert Choo Choo Dixon, and it was a war, bloodbath. It took four cuts, 130 stitches, two perforated eardrums, a separated retina. The doctor wanted to stop the fight three times. I begged him not to stop the fight because I knew I was going to win, and I did win. And I was getting sutured up. And that doctor, that night in that hospital, I was 26. He said, son, how old are you? I said, I'm 26. And I, my biggest concern was, hey, I just got my ranking tonight with this fight. I'm going to be fighting soon, so make sure you, you, you stitch that up as, as firm as you can. And when he said to me, hey, son, we're, we're worried in the medical profession about the cuts that are happening inside the head, not outside the head. I said, what do you mean? And he told me then he was on the medical board of Muhammad Ali. And that uh, what they noticed in the, in, the, in the boxing profession and in the medical profession is that you're, you, know, you have this fluid in your skull that, in, that, that, that your brain uses as a, as a cushion, a pillow, uh, that, that any head trauma prior to the age of 28, yeah, it could be devastating, could be uh, 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 irrecoverable, but yet. It, this fluid in the skull acts like a cushion, almost like I'll analogize it to the yolk in an egg and the albumin, the white fluid around it. The, if the yolk was your brain and the albumin was your, the fluid in your brain and, uh, and you shake it, it's, it's, it's going to get shaken around, but the yolk should stay intact. If you take all that albumin out of it and leave the yolk there and then shake it, the brain's going to pop open or the yolk's going to pop open. Well, that's what happens. He said that the fluid in your brain dissipates at the age of 28 and you have minimal fluid there. So any head trauma to the brain uh, is that much more damaging to your brain. And that's what he was trying to analogize, saying that Muhammad Ali uh, had uh, basically a lot of the brain damage occurred when he had the big heavy fights after the age of 28. Well, to me at that time, my father was there. He said, "Hey, son, if you want to, and if you want to play with your grandchildren, grow to be a uh, old man, do things when you're old, climb other mountains, then retire from boxing when you're 28." And you know what? That's what I, that's the my that was my moment. My father was right there. I said, "Hey, dad, you know I I want to be able to do things later in life. So you remind me of this because boxing is my life, my wife, and everything else. I'll box till I die. I don't care. But uh, the bottom line is." Do that. Tap me on the shoulder and remind me that this is it. And you know what? The last, the last time my father tapped me on the shoulder was uh, after my fight, uh, February 6th at the Atlantic City Convention Center on the co-featured event with uh, Vinny Pazienza and Greg Haugen. I fought Louis Lamelli. After the fight, my father tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Hey, Sal, it's it's a couple of years, it's two years, and um, you know you're 28. Maybe you should really reconsider what that doctor said." 
And that was it. So I walked away. And that's why I stayed away because I was too close to it. I was emotionally, I knew I was still in my prime and I didn't want to do anything. But I knew later on in life I want to do things I'm doing today. I'm healthy. I can run five miles. I can do anything I want to do. And uh, do I attribute it to what that doctor told me? Maybe. I don't know. I can't turn back. But why do I have that monkey on my back still? Because I know I, I still feel I could fight. But, you know, we will, We always like to flirt with our health, with danger, and with everything else. Well, so Thanks for letting me spew that out. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I, I, I thought you were just— How to get that off my chest. I thought you were just yoking around. But uh, anyway, <laughs> you know, here, here's, the guy. Thing. here's the thing. And all kidding aside, and I'm going to expose it because I, I've, I've had this conversation— I've talked to Mauricio Suleiman. I've talked to Larry Hazard. I've talked to Mike Mazzulli, uh, who's now the head of the ABC. I also uh, will never forget the words that the previous head of the ABC, Tim Luckenbaugh, told me when I presented my idea to him about making it. And this is when I realized that the ABC has no juice at all. It's just a scam. It's as much of a scam as Floyd Mayweather is the fact that he says, you know, Bill, that's a great idea. He says, I think you're 100% correct. I think that if we were able to arm the doctors with a, uh, a, a head scan of fighters that would be presumably a good one prior to a knockout. Now, many commissions order a head scan after a knockout or even a savage beating. And we were discussing this with our blast from the past yesterday on the Gene Fulmer Benny Kid Perret fight, which many people, including myself and you, Sal, since we did the revisited on it as well, that that was the fight that indeed set up the uh, what would soon to be the death of Benny Kid Perret at the hands of Emil Griffith, but the damage that he sustained in the uh, uh, Gene Fulmer fight is the one that most likely did the damage. But at that time, the technologies and the rules of boxing did not require a commission or a fighter to order uh, a head scan or even a suspension where they weren't allowed to fight or even spar or even work out. And technically, when a fighter's on suspension, they're not even allowed to be in a gym. So, I mean, that's what the, the, the rule is. But when Tim Luckenbaugh said to me, great idea, blah, 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 but here's why it won't work, Bill. Who's going to pay for it? I'm like, Bingo. what? He says, you know, you can't. I, I said, the promoter can pay for it. He says, well, that, that's too much uh, money for a promoter layout. And then we might not get the boxing that we want if the promoters can't afford it. And let me tell you something, boys and girls and ladies and gentlemen, and even you, Sal. That pissed me off. Because the truth of the matter is, is, you know, a promoter could say to a young fighter, and every promoter wants to sign every freaking fighter that's out there, all right? And all the promoter has to do is say, hey, Johnny, hey, little Johnny that wants to turn pro, I'll tell you what, I'll pay for your head scan, but you got to sign a 10-fight deal with me, or you got to sign a, a contract with me, or whatever. And then the, 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 the uh, fighter that's ready to turn pro can sit down and make a decision. Does he want to or does she want to sign with this promoter? Maybe another promoter will, will ante up the money. There's ways of doing it. And let me tell you something, Sal. That would be an investment by the promoter to invest in the cost of a head scan and build up a stable of fighters. Today, the problem is, and that's one of the biggest problems with the sport of boxing, is that if a fighter doesn't have a promoter to back him, and a good promoter, a promoter that has enough money 
to put on shows, a fighter doesn't fight or they automatically become the B-side and they don't win even when they win. And that's the other side of the of the fight game that's uh, not too uh, favorable. So maybe by forcing this type of a, a situation would also increase the pool of available fighters. And while we're at it, dreaming about making this sport a little safer, we should have a unified medical requirement for all commissions. Because then this way, you know, you, they complain, oh, well, you, you know, I used to, and hey, listen, I'll admit it. I'll admit it. I, I'm, I, I was a licensed promoter and I promoted uh, in my own state of New York which is one of the one of the strictest uh, promotion of uh, you know uh, promotion requirements in, in the country uh, but I went to other states because it was easier and cheaper for me I'll admit it I did it and so does other promoters all right they go to other states where it doesn't require as much and and it's cheaper to put on an event I did it too. You know, it's a business move. Is it is it the right thing? Is it safer for the fighters? No, it's not. You know, but the truth of the matter is, is if we had a unified uh, medical requirement for every single commission in the United States, yes, it may cost more. Whether the commission picks up the tab or whether the promoter has to pick up the tab or whatever happens, yes, the initial cost will be more. However, you would end up with a bigger pool of fighters that are able to fight in multiple states and multiple commissions. What happens now, for example, in the state of New York, the state of New York pays for the head scan for the fighter. So when you're a promoter and you want to promote a fight in the state of New York, guess who you're looking at to bring in to fight? State of the New York fighters because they're the ones that already have the head scan. They're the ones that have medicals that are already approved. They're the ones the commission in New York State will be more inclined to improve than bringing in another fighter from another state that didn't require a head scan and that now the New York State Commission has to pay for that head scan. Trust me, does it sound like it's a, it's all BS? It's not. That's exactly what it happens. Eh, eh, listen, whether it's right or wrong, it's what happens. So you would end up be, you know, yes, maybe the initial cost might be more, but at the end of the day, you'll end up with safer environments for the fighters, a bigger pool of fighters, and guess what? The promoters will be in a better position to have bigger stables of fighters, and after all, that's the name of the game, Sal. Bill, I think you're right on. You, you're so, so right on. You know, like I said, there's very little action <clears throat> you know people will yes you to death uh including commissioners including doctors uh, to a degree that they'll want to do what's best and maybe in their heart of hearts they have a good meaning and good purpose and good reason to want to do the best and i think what you just said too do you think it's costing uh, the government uh, in 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 uh, Puerto Rico money to to for Wilfredo Benitez uh, in his condition. Do you think how much money is it costing the, uh, for poor Rocky Lockridge right now? Uh, he's in bad health. Um, you know, these are the things. If you cover your investment early, invest in the medical uh, scans and things like that, maybe you'll save it in the long run down the road. Who knows? But the bottom line is. This is what really should be done. And I think not even not even after every big fighter or concussion, you could make it easier. But on an anniversary of a boxing license, 
being having to be renewed for a particular home state. I don't care because you know what? You fail one license uh, sanction in a state, you can go to a one that's less lenient and have a fight there, and you can pass that one. No, wherever your home state is, you get that annual physical, you get that annual brain scan. That's where you got to go to get your renewal for your license, and uh, and that's where the doctors got to compare your brain scans on an annual basis with the renewal from your home state. And that's that's maybe one thing that they can do. Who knows? But, you know, and the same thing with the, with the boxing, with the fighters. I think it's the cracked glass theory. We saw Benny Kid Perrette when he fought Gene Fulmer. That fight was a war. He took a beating, and I think you were right on. That's where all the damage occurred. It's like the cracked glass theory. You tip over a glass sometimes on the counter. Boom. Boom. But over boom. again, bam, it shatters. It breaks apart in a million pieces. You know, that, I, I'm not analogizing a cracked glass to a brain. But, you know, what I'm analogizing is the fact that, yeah, like a fight like Benny Kid Perrette, the beating he took in that fight, the war, the exchanges, yeah, I don't think either fighter was the same after that fight. You and I have talked about that. So, yes, I think if you have a boxing commissioner – or commission, and you have the state regulations and the medical profession all getting on the same page and see a, a fighter, what he looks like at, at his onset, when he turns pro, what that brain scan looks like. And then every year he's got to go back for that renewal of a license, and they compare, and they see, well, you know, yeah, you have a little atrophy going on here. This is where we are. We should warn you that maybe uh, by next year we're going to have to look at this over again. You know, I, I think that would be something. Well, what needs well, to be done. Well, 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 listen, today, most commissions, most reputable commissions require a head scan after either a, a, a brutal fight or, or definitely right. after a knockdown. And then you have the other commissions, the major commissions that require a head scan either every year or every three years. Uh, and then there's uh, some commissions that require a head scan uh, for fighters that are over a certain age. My, my point is is that That's if, the one I if, went for. if yeah if, if my point <laughs> is if it's a requirement at least if we can't have all these other things I'm hoping for at least if they require a fighter to ha undergo a head scan before they turn pro and 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 make doctors that are uh, examining these head scans to give the thumbs up that a fighter is okay to continue after a knockdown or a brutal fight if they're able to compare it with what we presume is a good scan, I think it'll it'll help fighters. At least, you know, if you sit a fighter down, regardless of their situation, and you say, look, Mr. Fighter or Miss Fighter, you know, uh, here's your head scan when you turned pro six years ago. Here's your head scan uh, today uh, after, you know, uh, 15, 20 fights. You see this mark over here? This is because X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, is it within tolerance? Will, will a commission pass you to fight? Yes, they will. But this is an indication of some problems that are starting to develop. And, and explain it to him or her with someone else there, a family member, a wife, you know, a husband, a girlfriend, whatever, you know, and, and uh, kids, you know, parents. And say, listen, this is this is what you're up against. Take some time to weigh out your options and let them make a, an educated decision. Forever, we've been talking about, oh, the poor fighter. Oh, they don't know. Oh, they don't know. They've been robbed because they don't know. They don't know. I got news for you. Fighters of today are not 
the fighters of yesteryear that uh, you know had no other choice. You know, fighters today are extremely intelligent. I mean, you look at a guy like Keith Thurman. You know, even you know Mike Tyson. People don't give Mike Tyson the credit. He's very re- well read. I mean, I, you know, listen. Just like all athletes today, the superstar boxers are, are just as intelligent as any other athlete. So why not give them the same opportunities? The difference, let's be real, the difference is that there's no league to protect them. You know, that's where uh, the UFC is ahead of boxing at this point. Because that's, and whether Dana White and the, and, and the powers that be in, in the UFC are trying to protect their fighters or not, that's neither here nor there. I honestly don't know enough about uh, the UFC. But in the theory of leagues and in the theory of them protecting their 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 you know players or fighters or whatever, um, they're supposed to be helping, not hurting. So I don't know. I know we got totally off all the topics that we wanted today, but it is an important thing. And and Juan Malopez, you know, ha- has got to be a guy that many of us who who have watched. And I mean, I, I don't know anybody that doesn't like Juan Malopez in terms of you know, his person, you know, the, the personality. I mean, this is a prime example of a guy that you don't want to see, uh, you know, uh, dribbling down the side of his face in 20 years. You know, I mean, uh, I just don't. Here's another guy that I'm going to talk about. You know, uh, David Price. David Price was a highly regarded uh, heavyweight out of England uh, until he fought a real fight. Now he's a proverbial punching bag, but yet he's coming back again. And he's fighting, uh, they announced yesterday that he's fighting Ra- uh, Rafael Zambrano Love. Um, who's also been in some uh, tough fights and now is just a gatekeeper. My point is, is why? You know, Price trying to make some money. You know, if he gets beat by Zambrano Love, no disrespect to Zambrano Love, I, he, I don't even think that uh, David Price should be allowed to fight again. You know, he's 34 years old and he's another one. You know, he, how about this one? You know, um, Robert Alfonso is an undefeated heavyweight. And he's taken on Jason Bergman, who's a, a journeyman, tough guy t- kind of a fighter. But but he, here's what bothers me. It's happening this Friday, and it's for a vacant USBA title, all right? Now, now USBA title, which is the IBF, um, is, uh, uh, is, is, is considered a regional title. But I ask you this, Sal. How can any title be contested by a fighter who's come off two losses. Jason Bergman has a record of 26 and 14 with a couple of draws. He's lost his last two in a row. He's lost his last three out of four. And by the way, his last fight that he lost, he fought on May 12th, which isn't that long ago. And he lost the decision to Willie Herring. Willie Herring went into that fight with a 14 and 14 with a three draw record. I just want to know, how can a sanctioning body, and I was with, I was, I worked with a sanctioning body. I was in charge of the, of the U.S. and I'm not even going to mention a sanctioning body, but I was in charge with the United States uh, uh, it, it, for, for a sanctioning body. And I know what, what happened behind the scenes and, and several reasons why I walked away, but how can a commission or a sanctioning body sanction a fight like this? This just adds to what we're talking about with these titles that have lost the value, which brings us back to what we were talking about yesterday and the day before about uh, Anthony Joshua, who I think is the best heavyweight on the planet, fighting Deontay Wilder now because who cares about those belts? 
the value of these belts because of fights like this, even though that this isn't a, a world title, have gone down, Sal. You make great points, Bill, and I can't argue it. Uh, you know, you, you know. I remember after I had my comeback fight, you know, I, I, I told you and John, I said, I want to fight for the title. I want to get a championship belt. I want, and you guys looked at me and said, Sal, it's not the same. You know, you, you haven't fought in 25 years. Let me tell you what's going on now in the fight game. The belts don't mean the same. And, and you know, you had a hard time giving me an explanation. But, I also uh, told you, I also told you, that I could get you a shot if you won a couple yes, of fights. Did. That was the truth. That. You said you could get me a shot. And that's and the said, sad yes, truth. If it wasn't for my torn rotator cuff and having to wait a year and a half for that to heal. Uh, I get surgery and everything else. I don't know if I was ready for that. But, I, I, yeah, I wanted a shot. If I could pass a boxing commissioner, if there's any boxing commissioner out there that could pass me with a torn rotator cuff, I'll give it my best. I want to still fight. Let no, me know. It's just, you know, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. And uh, uh, hey, listen, I, I'll close this with one other thing. You mentioned, <laughs> uh, you mentioned uh, pugilistic dementia before when you were yoking around. Yes. But, uh, I was you know, yoking I, around. I, let, let me explain Scramble, something. Several Scramble years brains. back, and for anybody that's new to this show, um, we're in our 14th year. And several years back, I had a, uh, a, a really good interview um, uh, that, um, that we, we were discussing head injuries and, and, and stuff like that. And Michael Nunn, who uh, was one of my favorite fighters to watch during his era, um, his wife uh, and he, because he's suffering uh, from what now, what we used to call pugilistic dementia, which used to be called punch drunk before that, there's actually a scientific term for it thanks to uh, uh, Michael Nunn's wife and, and the discussion that we had. Uh, it's called, uh, 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 um, uh, well, now my dementia is setting in. Um, he's, he's, uh, you know, Parkinson's uh, syndrome. syndrome no, it's called Parkinsonism. And Parkinson's what, what, syndrome. Well, no, Park, Parkinson's, there's a misconception about Parkinson's and boxing. Parkinson's disease, people can get, whether never getting a, a punch to the head or a, a head injury. Right. Parkinson's disease is a, is a horrific disease that people can get. Some people are susceptible to it and some people aren't. Uh, a great example is Michael J. Fox. He's never uh, fought uh, a day in his life in, 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 you know, in the ring, uh, and he uh, suffers from Parkinson's uh, disease. But Muhammad Ali, because of his suffering, a lot of people are always comparing the wars that he had with the warriors that he fought uh, as the reason of his Parkinson's disease. Well, Parkinsonism, which uh, was pointed out and been proven now, uh, is when a fighter who may have been susceptible to Parkinson's before they became a fighter, okay, um, it basically speeds up that process. And that's what, uh, has ha that, that's what had happened with, uh, with Muhammad Ali. Uh, if he never fought in his life, chances are he still would have just, uh, come down with Parkinson's disease. Now, in Michael Nunn's case and, and in fighters' cases that uh, are uh, what we used to call punch drunk or uh, pugilistic dementia when we were trying to be politically correct and didn't want to refer to a fighter as being punch drunk. Uh, or being now, punchy. That's what you say. You're punchy. Well, now now they actually have a term called Parkinsonism. And it's a, a, something that could very well lead 
to Parkinson's if that individual was susceptible to that disease to begin with, uh, or uh, now because of the advent of uh, specific drugs and uh, uh, things that can help, uh, they're able to control it. And these guys and gals that, that suffer from it uh, have good days and bad. So uh, they are working on it. And because of technology and scientific study, they are making some breakthroughs. And, you know, if pe people are out there looking uh, to, uh, you know, uh, try and help a cause like that, that's the types of things to, to donate money to. You know, uh, something that, uh, you know, has a, a, a blanket effect, not only on our sport, but other sports and other human beings in as well, you know. So, you know, look out for that. It's a term, it's called Parkinsonism. And we, uh, we wanted to get uh, uh, her back on and discuss more and maybe maybe that maybe just us talking about this now uh should get me to uh, reach out to those guys again uh and uh and do that but uh anyway it's uh, a good idea bill yeah you know so. uh, and 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 you know what mauricio suleiman came on this show and was very uh you know receptive of not only coming on this show again but sitting down and and discussing that with me and and by the way i might as well throw my other uh, idea out i had developed a, a a way for pro boxing to have a league that would work that will not affect the four major sanctioning bodies so how about that i mean uh, we could uh, form a league of professional boxers that would protect the fighters protect the fans and keep the four major sanctioning bodies in place so that they could keep their claws into their cash cows because let's face it that's all they do but uh let's read some emails i think Sal. that's great i think that's great well, I'm going to reach out to Mauricio and uh, see if uh, he wants should. to come on. Because I know uh, Larry uh, is willing to, to spearhead something like that. And, uh, oh, you know, big and, time, and, I believe he and, would. And nothing for nothing, but uh, even though the ABC, in my opinion, uh, has lost a lot of credibility and, and juice, uh, Mike Mazzulli, who's uh, now in charge, uh, he's also the uh, commissioner of uh, the Mohegan uh, Sun uh, uh, Casino and, and the uh, Native American uh, Indian Reservation there, um, he, he's always been a stickler about the safety of fighters. So I'm sure that if I could get uh, Mike to uh, uh, sit down with us with an open mind, I, I'm sure that uh, we could put something together. But anyway, um, let's get some emails read because I've been promising everybody that we'll get to these emails. And uh, here we are running out of time again. And once again, uh, we are not taking commercial breaks because we are uh, having some uh, video uh, camera shot issues. You guys are just looking at uh, this fat, balding Italian guy, yours truly, and you're not getting a look at the good-looking uh, co-host that I have, Sal Rocky Senecola, but you can hear him. You can hear him. And I'm he's, not he, on. I'm not on. And, and it's a good thing because he's sitting there right now with, with no shirt on. He's got like, uh, you know, he's, he's looking pretty. Uh, he's not looking good. But I promise if you come down and join us uh, for uh, our event, for the uh, McGregor Mayweather uh, fight weekend uh, down at uh, St. Simon's, and he looks like he's smoking something over there. What? Is, oh, he's eating it. Oh, it must it's be a candy cane. Oh, oh, oh! It's like what my uncle, uh, my uncle used to do. He used to smoke those. Remember Denobly cigars? Them fat. Yeah. Oh, they, the I, bubble one, one, one time I tried one. I was like, I got high on this stuff. It was better than friggin' pot. But uh, uh, he do, used to I chew them. With Massimo, we smoke them. At night, he used to smoke. But I'm talking, I'm talking about uh, years ago. I think they were thicker and stronger and grosser. But he used to smoke them all the way down till they were about an inch big. Then he would chew it like it was chewing tobacco. Man, yeah, exactly. it was crazy. It was crazy stuff. But anyway, 
You know how those Italians are. You know how those people are, those Italians, you know. But uh, anyway, this one, this one's from my man Jesse. He says, uh, hey, Billy C. and Sal, welcome back. Uh, he says, uh, Billy, great job uh, on Mikey versus Broner, uh, who clearly uh, was outboxing uh, Broner. He says, do you think Broner would have success if he threw down uh, with Mikey in exchanges and combos? It seemed Broner had the speed. But Mikey had the sharpshooting, counterpunching, and accuracy. Broner had some success later in the fight when he put his hands up and walked Mikey down a bit with speed combos, but did not do that enough. Was Broner cautious of Mikey's power, accuracy, and underrated defense? Uh, Mikey, before the fight, said Broner will bring the test. Uh, I'm sorry, will bring the best out of me. But I still think Mikey has a, more of an arsenal that has yet to be displayed. I think guys like Crawford, Thurman, Lomachenko. Uh, Easter, Danny Garcia, Porter, etc., will bring the best out of Mikey, uh, especially Loma, saying that Mikey got tired and didn't throw enough. Mikey, after Bronafite, said to the fighters to talk to Showtime and negotiate a matchup, but Loma said, why is he dealing with Showtime if Mikey said he's a free agent and is willing to fight anywhere? Uh, hopefully Mikey keeps his word and fights anywhere and anybody, especially the top guys. Mikey wants to fight the top guys, even if he's got to move to 147. I think he wants to fight one more time. Uh, that he mentioned this year. Uh, Loma, uh, Lomachenko should fight Mikey, Valdez, Burchett, Corrales, Ray Beltran, Fortuna. Uh, but I don't think uh, his team really wants to fight Mikey, even though they will. They come up with the excuse that he's with Showtime. Mostly looks like it'll be Salido or Burchett next. Um, well, let, let me just comment on your comments on the fight. I, listen, we talked about this fight a lot. And, you know, I, I think... Although I believe that Adrian Broner possesses the talent and I thought that he was an extremely dangerous fighter at lightweight, um, I think his ego uh, and his uh, lack of uh, discipline has gotten the better of uh, Adrian Broner. And now I, I don't even think he thinks clearly anymore. Uh, and I think what won the fight for Mikey Garcia is exactly what Sal and I had been talking about when we discussed this fight. Mikey Garcia did what fighters are supposed to do when they're technically the B-side. And going into this fight, although, uh, you know, I picked Mikey Garcia to win this fight by a decision, uh, I still looked at him as the B-side because Adrian Broner was the guy listed on the A-side. It was Adrian Broner versus Mikey Garcia. That's A versus B. Um, but what Mikey did was what all fighters need to do. They need to, when, the, when their opponent throws two punches at them, they need to come back with four or five. When the opponent throws five punches at them, they need to come back with eight or nine. And that's exactly what Mikey Garcia did. The other thing Mikey Garcia did was that he was a ring general, which is the real true uh, definition of ring generalship. He cut the ring off, and he was in front of uh, Broner. Every time Broner tried to reboot and reset and do something that he wanted to do, Mikey Garcia prevented him from doing it. That's ring generalship, and that's how we beat Adrian Broner. Should he have stayed in the pocket and exchanged with him? Mikey Garcia didn't give him the chance because when he did try to do it, Mikey Garcia worked the body and pushed him back. Mikey Garcia had a, a, a superb performance against Adrian Broner, and his stock skyrocketed. And Adrian Broner now, uh, I don't know what to say. As far as uh, Lomachenko, you know, it's tough. He's in this weight class. He isn't, he isn't a big guy. Uh, some of the names you mentioned, uh, you know, he's got to move up. Um, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But thanks for the email. Uh, I mean, you agree with that, especially with uh, uh, what we had talked about with Mikey Garcia, right, Sal? 
100%. He was solid. I told you. What I loved about Mikey Garcia, and we both picked him to win this fight. And But he, he had a professional camp. I mean, the guy puts the blinders on. He does what he has to do. He's, he's textbook and beyond. And uh, he kept his cool, calm, and collected. He wasn't, oh, and you know what? There wasn't the noise surrounding his camp. There wasn't the rhetoric. There wasn't the drama. There wasn't anything else. There's no, uh, you know, uh, stuff that was filling up with uh, the Broner camp, you know, with uh, watching this and watching that. And then my life is, you know, uh, on uh, on the world stage, and uh, I got to watch this one and that one. You know, it, it was a quiet camp. It was a camp that that this is what I do, this is how I prepare for what I do, and this is what I'm going to do when I'm in that ring. And, I mean, that was textbook. It was great. Mikey Garcia, you told me he's going to be one of my next favorite fighters. And you know what? He is. He does what he has to do. Raheem, your boy Raheem, says, um, good morning, Billy C. and Sal. It's me, Raheem. Good morning, Raheem. He says, it's me, Raheem. Uh, I'm wanting to know what foreign country gave both of you the best fight experience as a fan. I've seen that other countries put on great fights like England and Australia. The crowds uh, are stadiums, and it sounds like an NFL game. It's great to see other countries put on boxing events. Uh, also, if Joshua and Wilder fight, is it going to be in America or in England? I'm uh, waiting for this mega fight to happen. I give Wilder the slight edge because he has not been downed in a fight, and Joshua was rattled by Klitschko and was downed, but he showed uh, courage by getting up, and that was great to see. He's got another... Uh, uh, comment outside of boxing but you see Raheem this is what bothers me about you I you, you can't you, and and Raheem you know I love you and you know I especially love your pops because he's the only one that keeps you straight but the truth of the matter is is that you know Raheem is similar to all the other people his age young uh, guys in their early 20s that are are you know new to the sport so to speak don't judge a fighter because he hit the canvas uh, don't judge a fighter because he's got a loss. You know, I, that's such a wrong thing. That's Floyd Mayweather's, um, his marketing. And what made Floyd so successful and popular is because he banked that. He was able to brag and say he hasn't lost a fight. You know, uh, he, he's not down, although he's been hurt. You know, these are things that don't equate to greatness. Floyd was able to avoid it. Because he carefully chose his opponents, etc., etc., but that does not mean he's the best of all time. Because of that, it means nothing. I use the analogy all the time. If the best football team or baseball team played the worst football or baseball team for every game of the season and went undefeated, does it make them the best team? I mean, you know, the answer, in my opinion, is no. Because, you know, if a high school team is playing a Pop Warner team or, or a Little League team uh, every single week and has a season of un being undefeated, that doesn't make them the best high school team. You know, it just makes them the, the, the king of the mountain against the least uh, dangerous opposition. Now, as far as my uh, country, if you mean me being where, you know, live at an event, um, I would have to say uh, Denmark or France um, was the most exciting uh, places in a foreign country that I've been. Although Canada, uh, I was at the uh, uh, Eric Luca uh, fight when he uh, won uh, the title uh, on Canadian soil. It was the first time that a uh, Canadian fighter 
uh, won an undisputed title or maybe it was a WBC. I forget what the stat was. It was the first time they actually won it on Canadian soil. I was at that fight. That was a huge event. Um, but uh, France was 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 big. Uh, Chevelle Hallback uh, fought in, in France a couple of times. Uh, the, the audiences were great there. Um, I, I got to go there. I, I also Denmark. But in my opinion, the, the best uh, foreign uh, event that I saw uh, has to be England. I, I've never seen places, uh, you know, jam-pack uh, uh, such, uh, you know, vocal and boisterous crowds as, as England does. Although Mexico has had 100,000 people, too. What, what about you, Sal? I'll tell you what. I love what we see over in uh, England. Uh, the fans, the the stadiums. I mean, these guys are just so they rally behind their guy, and uh, they're celebrating. Like I said, it's a it's an event. It's an occasion. It's a celebration. And these guys are loud. They're vocal. They're they're behind their fighter, and uh, it's a celebrative atmosphere more so than what I've seen in the United States or in any other country. I fought in France. I fought up in Canada, and the fans are good there. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a unique thing um, to see with different venues in different countries uh, how fans do react. Uh, but I would say for my uh, uh, bet, if I ever wanted to go anywhere to watch a real uh, – to watch a title fight and I could choose any country to go to, I would want to go to England. Or Italy, Italy. I like to go to Italy. Oh yeah, me me too, <laughs> me too. You know, uh, for sure. You know, but uh, <laughs> anyway, his last question is: Lastly, my Bears let go of Cutler, and now he's with the Dolphins. Uh, but uh, why is no team taking Johnny Manziel? Why can't my Bears pick Manziel, who has the talent, but he played for the Browns, and the Browns didn't have a good overall team? Manziel was uh, great at Texas A&M. Thanks for the email, Raheem. Well, to respond to that, Johnny Manziel was great uh, in college, you know, and when he was uh, about to be drafted in the NFL, my my thoughts on, uh, you know, football Johnny were simple. I thought he was too small. But that's not the reason why teams are staying away from him. Uh, the teams are staying away from him because of his off-the-field antics. And um, the NFL is strict. They have an image to uphold, and uh, they don't want any BS. And uh, Johnny Manziel's uh, uh, actions outside of, uh, you know, the NFL uh, just bring too much uh, negative press on him. And it's similar to Colin Kaepernick. You know, Colin Kaepernick, I can't stand the fact that this has become such – you know, a racial Political. thing. Well, it's 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 more racial now, and racial. and yeah. and you know, people uh, are are trying to make it racial. Listen, he chose a bad way to make a statement, and um, you know, nobody is going to deny that you have the right to make a statement any way you want. But what he did kind of affected people of all colors and backgrounds because he went against the country that basically made him a millionaire. And right. I think that when you when you add that to the fact that statistically his numbers were terrible, uh, I think that that teams are avoiding him not only because of his statistics, but because they don't want to bring any uh, unwanted Drama. negative press to the team. Yeah. Is it right? Well, you know what? When you belong to a league like the NFL who finds players for – for you know, not wearing appropriate clothes outside, uh, you know the the fields and and uh, fining players for inappropriate 
actions outside of the field of play. I mean, this you know they're not allowed to play a pickup game of basketball. Uh, they're not allowed to do certain things uh, because they're part of the league. They know that before they they join the league. They know that, you know. So, um, I, you know, I I think that the Johnny Manziel and Colin Kaepernick, although both seem to be different issues, uh, statistically neither one of them did well. And both of them have brought negative press upon themselves. So, I mean, you know, and, and Jay Cutler, there's a perfect example. Jay Cutler, who's got some talent, but statistically wins and losses isn't that great. But Jay Cutler, how do you pick a guy like Jay Cutler when he's such an, he's, 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 a, he's all about himself kind of a guy. You need a leader as a quarterback. He has demonstrated many times before that he's not a leader. The only reason the Dolphins picked him was because the head coach of the Dolphins was the offensive coordinator for the, for the Bears when Cutler was with them. And he just figured that Cutler knows the system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And let me say this on the Colin Kaepernick issue. I'm a Jets fan. We all know that the Jets suck, but I would have taken Colin Kaepernick in a heartbeat. As a matter of fact, I hoped that the Jets picked Colin Kaepernick before he pulled all of the shenanigans he did uh, last year. And then now I said, oh, geez, you know, whether he could do well for the Jets or not, the negativity that the New York press would bring on him just would just it would be terrible for, for the team. And honestly, that's the only reason uh, I wouldn't want to see him, because I always liked him. As a quarterback, uh, you know, when he was with the 49ers and he went to the championship games, he had the right offense around him. Uh, I, I, I liked him. I just think that his interest in the game has way, faded. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's, he needs to find himself. I think, you know, I think that that's the biggest problem with uh, Colin Kaepernick. I think he's still searching for himself. But uh, anyway, don't want to get too much into that, Sal. But uh, uh, what do you think? Go ahead, Sal. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Well, did I ever tell you I'm a big Jet fan now since since Pat Ryan came in my restaurant the yeah, other you night told, with you his told lovely us, family? You, you told us yesterday. I'm a big Jet fan. You and you know what? I went online yesterday to try and find a jersey, a number 10 for Jets, because I'm going to surprise Pat Ryan next time he comes to my restaurant. I'm going to have his picture on my wall, and I'm going to have a Jet, a Jet football helmet and a Jet jersey with his number on it hanging next to my Phil Sims jersey. And... Uh, uh, so I, I gotta, I gotta find some resources to get these things. Like Google it. I was on eBay. You, you could go to Amazon. any. I couldn't you could, find it. You could go to any sports shop that sells NFL jerseys and have a number ten put on it, and then have okay, good. I'll do that. And I and, got one other question. No, one right. other statement. I wanted to help with Raheem's email. I think you know he made a comment about being knocked down, and I want to tell Raheem and his and his uh, evolution of, of of fighting and uh, uh, learning about fighters. Yes, Anthony Joshua was down, and uh, and uh, maybe Deontay Wilder has not been down yet. But Raheem, what's gonna what you're gonna see over a lifetime being a fan of boxing? Sometimes the greatest fighters they get knocked down, and it's not how many times they get knocked down, but how many times they're able to pick themselves up and and summon whatever they got to do to put it together and become uh, the winner of that fight. So they not only do they get knocked down, but they can pick themselves up and come back and win. Hey, and that's a that's the merit of a true fighter. Not only that, but listen, several years back, I, I was never a big Larry Holmes fan, 
And I'm not a I'm not a fan of fighters that get in front of a mic and a, and a camera and start saying I need to get uh, more uh, respect. Uh, nobody gives me respect. And 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 well, two, he did that. I know. Well, two fighters that that you know I watched uh, you know as a fan, Larry Holmes and Lennox Lewis, both did that. And during their careers, I wasn't big uh, fans of either one. And you know, subsequently. Uh, with Lennox Lewis, uh, as he retired as a champion and never went back, I, I've learned to respect uh, his accomplishments more. And as far as Larry Holmes went, you know, uh, I'll never forget it. And I tell this story, and even Ernie Shavers tells the story. I'm friends with Ernie Shavers. He's uh, been part of uh, several of our events. And uh, one time I went, uh, we had an event, and uh, I personally went to pick up Ernie at the airport myself because, you know, I just I, I wanted to see him. And I wanted to spend some time with him alone and as we're driving back i said to him uh hey ernie i said you know i've been getting criticized um about you know my thoughts about uh, uh larry holmes i said you know uh, people say he's one of the best all-time uh, heavyweights and uh all this stuff i said uh, uh what do you think is, is he one of the best ever and ernie shaver said to me billy he said let me tell you something he said when i fought larry holmes and I knocked him down. And this follows what you were saying, Sal. And Raheem should listen carefully. Uh, Ernie Shaver said, when I knocked him down, I thought I killed him. He says, I was leaning on the ropes with my hands up on the ropes, you know, my arms up on the ropes. And I'm looking at Larry. And I was praying to God that I didn't kill him. He said, and then all of a sudden, I saw Larry twitch. And I saw him look at me out of the corner of his eye. And started pulling himself up. And meanwhile, the, the ref is counting. He says, by the time he got up, barely beaten the count, he said, I knew that I was in trouble. And that fight went on. And uh, ultimately, Larry Holmes ended up knocking out Ernie Shavers to get the win in that fight. Wow. So what you wow. just said, Sal, is 100% correct. Just because a fighter hits the canvas does not diminish uh, the uh, the 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 uh, quality and talent level of that fighter, and since the conversation, just for the record, since the conversation. So if you're starting to write me an email about Larry Holmes, you can stop right now because since the conversation I have with my man Ernie, uh, I uh, do admit that uh, Larry Holmes was uh, one of the greatest of all time uh, in the heavyweight division. This one is from my man uh, Jeff. Thanks for and, sharing that. I, I like that. And he says, uh, "I'm so thankful." that ESPN uh, has these fights, but I barely can take the announcing. Listen, no matter how bad the announcing is on any network, the worst is Mario Ronaldo. He is the worst, the worst thing for boxing. Please mute it like I do. That guy and how this guy still has a job on Showtime, I don't know. But uh, he says the studio panel is a joke with very little boxing knowledge at all. Very difficult to listen to. He's right. My man Jeffrey is right. Uh, you know, when they go to Stephen A. Smith, Stephen A. Smith doesn't know crap about boxing. He doesn't know a left hook from a fish hook. The only thing he knows is Floyd Mayweather. And, and you know, I mean, to have him in the studio is, is ridiculous. And let's be real. Dan Raphael is a writer. He's a, he's a journalist. He's no boxing guy. Make no mistake, Dan Raphael, he doesn't know crap about boxing either. I challenge anyone to go find a piece that Dan Raphael wrote that shows some kind of substance other than fact where he'll say a fighter's making X amount of money, he's from this place, he's from that place. Dan Raphael is great at uncovering all the true facts 
about a fighter, his opponent, the background, etc. But never once does he get into the nuts and bolts of fighting, strategic-wise, uh, what a fighter does right or wrong. You know, you'll never hear him talk about technique, etc., etc., because he doesn't know. He's too busy eating donuts and, and friggin' hamburgers. But anyway, um, he says, uh, on-air Tim wants to, and he's talking about the ESPN, Tim Bradley. He says, on-air Tim wants to express his opinion, but Teddy holds a father-like shadow over him, causing him to flap into opinion wind. Come on, Tim, stand by your convictions. It's okay to challenge opinions and still remain friends. Really, if you believe Lomachenko is a bully, tell us why. I thoroughly enjoy watching Lomachenko perform, his movement, looking for opening, staying in a pocket, and especially the way he throws his uh, touches to the head or body, setting up his uh, harder shots later. This is not quite the same as a sharp jab, but allows him to remain inside for a very high percentage uh, punches landing. I don't want to get too carried away with demoralizing his opponent. Technically, he's fighting a rated competition, but at this point, he's just making it look easy. There is completion. Uh, there is competition out there for him, and we should soon see how dominant he really is. It's very hard to criticize the choice of opponents considering he has just eight pro fights on his resume. I guess I just fear that the constant hype from ESPN will turn people off rather than describing the talent they're witnessing and how it's being utilized. Lomachenko did show a slight weakness uh, in allowing his opponent's safety-first approach to frustrate him into losing some of his self-control, which I believe opened him up to that headbutt. Once he got back to business at his father's urging, the breakdown uh, really went into high gear. Rather than hyping that nobody can touch him, I'd much rather learn through the telecast that just exactly what he's doing and why it's so effective against the opponent. I believe people gravitate towards offensive-minded skills naturally. Uh, it, it describe why he's so much fun to watch and what he's doing to neutralize the competition. I guess this is why I enjoy Al Bernstein uh, and the rest of the team not so much. Thank you. Because if you were about to say that you like Mario Ronaldo, Jeffrey, I would have thrown <laughs> this friggin' email right away. Uh, but uh, and he's right. Al Bernstein is probably the best, although he's uh, his wings have been clipped too because of the idiot Ronaldo. Uh, he says uh, he describes the action without overhyping it. One participant over the other. He just tells us what's actually going on. Uh, hey, Floyd makes huge paydays because people are dying to see him lose. Good for him. I'd rather have this young fighter. He's referring to Lomachenko. Uh, make huge paydays because fighters love to watch him perform that's a great uh, point from my man jeffrey chance um and uh he's right about timothy bradley sal but you know teddy atlas's biggest problem is teddy atlas thinks that his opinions and and i'm not suggesting teddy atlas doesn't know the nuts and bolts of boxing because he certainly does but teddy atlas his opinions are right and your opinion my opinion Joe Schmo's opinion and Timothy Badley's opinion, if it differs from, from Teddy Atlas, we're wrong. He doesn't stay open-minded and listen to the other subjectivity that this sport brings out. And uh, that's one of my biggest hang-ups with Teddy Atlas and why he sucks as a commentator. He does. He sucks as a commentator. Not because he doesn't know the sport, because he is a boxing guy, and he's the kind of guy that I would love to see commentating fights except he's got to become more open-minded. Every fight that he scores, which I've said many, many times, they should not give Teddy Atlas a scoring card and a pencil. They should give him a coloring book and a crayon because that is all he can handle. He cannot handle scoring a fight. And when he scores a fight one-sided, what does he do? He says all the judges are corrupt. They're all being paid off. They're all being this because he doesn't leave himself open-minded 
for anybody else's opinion, and I got a problem with that. What's your thoughts, Sal? I, uh, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, he, yeah, I, oh, I, I thought you were going to ask me if he stays in the lines when he colors. <laughs> I don't know if he stays in the lines, but I'll tell you what. Yes, he does know a lot about boxing. He does add some great dimensions to his his uh, input as far as what uh, he sees and uh, observing uh, the course of a fight. Uh, his scoring and everything else and his ability not to empathize or understand or see how another person may see a fight differently. Like I said, unfortunately, we know a lot of these fights, and that's why they have three judges, because it's – it's subject to human error. It's subject to opinion. And unless you're going to knock out an opponent, you can watch a fight differently. And, I, and I've and i watched. I've watched that fight three or four times between uh, uh, Manny Pacquiao and Jeffrey Horn. And like I said, when I broke it down, I came down with two different scores. Um, and uh, <clears throat> none so far out of line as one of the judges had it. But when I looked at the fight, uh, I, I, I initially gave Manny Pacquiao the victory by one point. Then when I went back and I judged it with each round consisting of three separate one-minute rounds and I looked at who was doing the best work in those minute increments, I gave the fight to Jeffrey Horn. So who knows? I think that's why it's so subject to human error or human's opinion on some level. Uh, but uh, to, to say that my way is the only way is arrogant and it's not the it's not really what what it what needs to be uh, transferred to uh, or or related to to uh, everybody that uh, that he does. So I agree with you on that level. Yeah, well, I'm glad you do, yeah. Sal, because now I know I can sleep tonight. You know, now I know uh, you I know. Sleep. Hey, look at that. <laughs> one last email, and uh, this one's from uh, our buddy Joel. Joel, he sent, hey, Joel. he sent me a link to an article. Um, uh, about uh, Good thing uh, the found it, otherwise it would have been uh, a missing link. Uh, <laughs> that uh, about the sparring session, he says, uh, Paulie Malinaji called uh, in, in into this show. I'm not going to mention it. Um, who's uh, a popular uh, MMA show, and he was a guest, and uh, he discussed how his time sparring with Connor went sour, explaining how cheap Connor was with living living accommodations for where he put his sparring partners. Uh, having an audience of former UFC owner Dana White and other people just for the sparring and how Connor seemed to be pretty obnoxious about things as well as taking photos to show Paulie on the mat when Paulie said Connor had pushed him off uh, because he was giving him too much pressure during sparring. My question uh, to you and Sal is, do you believe all the things that Paulie is saying or do you think there's always two sides to the story? Well, Joel, point. Wow. Um, well, here's the thing. I'm there's curious actually, about that, Bill. Let me hear your thing. Well, there's 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 actually three sides to every story. Uh, true, you true. know, uh, Paulie's, uh, Connor's, and and then the truth. Uh, the, the the situation is this: I have said many many times, and I, I I refuse to even get caught up in in this hype because that's all it is. Um, you know, the bottom line is Conor McGregor, and you said it uh, months ago. Uh, Conor McGregor gets manhandled by all his sparring partners because he can't box. He, he, you know, stand up in MMA is not boxing, and this oh. is why this is not a competitive fight. This is why uh, Oscar De La Hoya and uh, uh, you know Canelo 
and of course Triple G are all saying, listen, they're the real fight. That's a couple of weeks later uh, past uh, McGregor Mayweather. And it's true. You know, Triple G, uh, Canelo Alvarez uh, is the real fight. It is a real fight. This fight that we're talking about between McGregor and Mayweather is a farce. It's a circus show. It's bullshit. I mean, we can't say it any other way. You know, uh, and Conor McGregor, as great as he is in MMA, is not a, a boxer. So when you put him in a ring sparring, especially with a guy who, you know, is a girly man himself in Paulie Malignaggi, um, who but can box. Uh, this is a guy without any power. I would think that he would be a, a good choice if it was a, uh, you know, a real serious choice of a sparring partner for uh, Conor McGregor. Paulie Malignaggi is a good choice because he boxes. He moves. He, he's, he's good defensively. He, he avoids punches. And uh, if Conor McGregor can uh, truly catch him, maybe he does have uh, a, a one in gazillion shot at, at beating Floyd. Uh, but... Uh, and by the way, Paulie can't hurt anybody. So, you know, Connor's not going to get, you know, Perfect stunned. Perfect spar partner. Yeah. Perfect um, spar partner. You know, I, I think, you know, the egos here. I, my personal opinion, Paulie Malignaggi complaining about the accommodations. Well, you know, um, you know, what are you going on vacation, Paulie? Or, or are you going to be a sparring partner? I mean, uh, you know, uh, this, these are things that should be uh, ironed out before you agree to join the camp. I, I always said all along that this was a ploy anyway, uh, that, uh, you know, he wanted to get in there so he could discuss the fight a little more as a broadcaster. Showtime wanted him there for PR. I mean, come on. Uh, you know, I, it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, it doesn't matter. It's not going to help him. But, yes, there are always two sides to the story. What's your thoughts, Sal? Well, I, I think, you know, you hit it on the head, too. I think it was it was great that Paulie Malignaggi went in there, and I think he was the perfect sparring partner uh, for Conor McGregor on that level because he could box, he could move, he, he's got defensive skills, and, and he doesn't really have too much pop that could, he can hurt Conor McGregor if he hits him. Um, I could be wrong, but the bottom line is, all things being equal, I think he was the perfect sparring partner for uh, uh, Conor McGregor. And uh, so... I think with that being said, you know, when I was sparring partners for Kenny Bogner, when he was getting ready for Boom Boom Man Senior, I was sparring partners for Aaron Pryor. I was sparring partners for this one, that one. You know what? We, we stayed in, in, in accommodations. It wasn't stellar. It wasn't uh, – it, it was better than a ho- – it was, it was a Holiday Inn Express. It was great. It was a day's in. It was wherever it was. It didn't matter. We were there for a job and for a mission, and that was it. We were paid. And uh, we, we, we had our food, we had everything we needed to do, and we lived the life of a fighter. And that was fine. Um, I didn't stay in, in, in the most luxurious hotel, but it was fine. We were comfortable, it was clean, it was neat, and it worked. And uh, um, you mean you didn't, you is, mean you didn't, uh, the way Paulie's describing it, he checked into his hotel room, he turned on the light, and a cockroach in the bathroom said, Turn off the goddamn light, I'm in here first. <laughs> oh, shit. You know, but. Uh, that is you know, funny. Like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, and, and, hey, so ask I your buddy, ask your buddy of- John, ask your buddy John about that. Uh, you know, and that's no kid. That's when I started saying, you know what, I'll take care of my own booking. You know, you try to go to use a bathroom and there's a cockroach sitting in the bathtub with uh, bubbles and everything else saying, hey, man, uh, can you close the door? It's a little chilly in here. I'm, like, I'm getting out of here, man. Yeah, that's, you, know? you know, I'll tell you why. When I first went out to California, Stallone had us out there. Sylvester Stallone, and uh, he built a beautiful training camp for uh, Aaron Pryor and myself, and and uh, Lee Canalino, who was uh, also Stallone's other stable mate. 
and Lee Catalino's out of Texas. He was in a couple of Stallone's movies, including uh, he played Kid Salami in uh, over to, uh, in uh, Paradise Alley. Uh, Lee's a great guy, gentle giant. I love Lee, and uh, in fact, I, I talk to him every once in a while. And uh, so it was Aaron Pryor, Lee Catalino, myself, and we were all out in Culver City. Stallone built us a beautiful training camp. By the way, where he was also training every day with Dolph Lundgren and ourselves, getting ready for the movie Rocky IV. And uh, we had a great time there. We had decent accommodations. And uh, uh, I had to share a room with Richie Giacchetti for six weeks. And uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was interesting. It was a good experience. It was, it was funny. Um, but the whole thing with Paulina Malinaji, I think he uh, should have just uh, gone in there as a sparring partner, being objective. And uh, did he really find himself on his butt in the, in the ring? Was that by push or shove, or did you hear anything factual about that? No, nah, I don't really know. And I don't. Right, but and, the, and to be honest with you, I don't care. And I'll tell you I why. I don't care. Go ahead. I'll tell you why. Because it's all a scam. You know, Showtime. Listen, if this fight doesn't do well, Showtime's in trouble financially. They're putting a lot of money out. And I want to. I would just want to close with one one last thing. You know, I've been talking, everybody that I come in contact with that knows me and knows what I do for a living is talking to me about the fight. And, and they're not talking to me like they're all psyched about it, like they talked about the Klitschko-AJ fight or even Triple G and Canelo. They talk to me about, what do you think? Does Conor have a shot? And, you know, you know and I laugh. And, and, and most boxing fans aren't even going to get it. And, and the, the people that seem to be getting it, are the, uh, the the MMA fans. And and here's the difference. And, and I said this the other day, and I don't mean it in a disrespectful way, but MMA fans are similar to NASCAR fans. What I mean by that is that a NASCAR fan will be drinking beer in the parking lot, go into the race, and then come out and finish drinking the beer. They're not going to spend a lot of money at the, at the venue or anything else. Well, MMA fans are the same. You see them like locusts come into an, a, a, an arena, they, they, you know, watch the fights and then, bam, they're all out and they're, they're going to bars or whatever they do. Boxing fans are a little different. They go to a casino, they gamble, they eat at the restaurants. It, it, that's why there's been a, uh, a successful marriage between uh, the sport of boxing and casinos because the crowds that the boxing gener that draw are, you know, beneficial to casinos. Well, with that said, what the majority of the people that I talk to that are actually going to buy the fight, are guys that are MMA fans that are having, like, a party. So, in other words, you know, 50 people are going to come and watch it on one TV. That is going to equate to less numbers, pay-per-view numbers, than what Pacquiao Mayweather generated. I have predicted on this show, Sal, that the Mayweather-McGregor uh, fight will not break all the pay-per-view records. Un even though the infamous Jeremy C. came on this show and bragged and guaranteed a win for Conor McGregor, and we all know, I mean, I love Jeremy. Without him, we wouldn't even be doing this show. But let's face it, I got to show him what a fish hook and a left hook are because he doesn't know he the difference. He guaranteed that? He really feels his heart is hard? I think I, I, I heard him say it, but he's that adamant about it. Oh, he guaranteed it. Jeremy C. guaranteed it. Baby, marry Jeremy C. You know something we don't know. 
I don't know. Yeah, what? What? You know? what, is, what does he know? He knows a lot that we don't know, but nothing about boxing. <laughs> nothing, nothing about, about boxing. boxing. But, but he can get this program up and running. <laughs> but I'll tell you, well, it has nothing to do with him. But uh, uh, the know. truth I'll of the keep... matter is, is I, I really don't think it's going to do the numbers. And uh, hey, listen, they have thousands of seats still available uh, in uh, for the live uh, uh, performance. You know, <laughs> I say performance. That's what it is. It's it's an act. <laughs> yeah, you're funny. You know, but yeah, uh, but they have they have thousands of seats available for the uh, for the fight uh, fight night, and they're not doing as well as they thought they would with the uh, closed circuit in Vegas as well. And I'm curious to see how the movie theaters do. But anyway, hey, listen, uh, tomorrow. Uh, we'll uh, get you updated on uh, everything that's going on between today and tomorrow in the sport of boxing and then some. And we're also going to open up the phone lines. Hopefully, we can get this uh, uh, issue with our multi-cameras and uh, uh, Microsoft uh, all resolved. I just want to thank Microsoft for uh, updating us on an uh, uh, update <laughs> that we had no use or desire to get. But since Microsoft forces you to do that shit... Uh, we are uh, suffering, and uh, I just wanted to thank Microsoft personally uh, for uh, for doing that. So, uh, with that said, uh, maybe we uh, switch. Maybe we go to another uh, OS. We'll have to uh, wait and see. But in any event, uh, I'll leave you guys with this: Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning, same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, ciao, baby. Dan and then 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 and